Welcome to the Critical Communications and Intel Agencies podcast series, part two on Zero Trust, the security oxymoron, hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. With nation-state and non-state actors laser-focused on gaining strategic advantage by compromising IT environments, one of the top priorities for the IC has to be the security and integrity of its networks and data and those who they protect. And following the executive order on cybersecurity issued in May 2021, Zero Trust Architecture has become the go-to security posture for the federal government. But what advantages will it bring to the IC and what obstacles do they need to overcome to execute on Zero Trust? In part two of this podcast series, Anurag Dave, who is the global product manager of Verizon SDP Zero Trust Solutions at Verizon, will discuss this topic further with us. And Anurag, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Matt, for having me here. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and jump right in. If you don't mind, tell us about the unique challenges that the Intel community has today with regards to security compared to other federal agencies. Yeah, now that is a very critical question. Now, here's our considered opinion. Of course, one is free to worry with this, and there are going to be nuances. The intelligence community faces challenges to the work environment that are truly unique. I think we all can agree on that. And in an increasingly digital world, these challenges are being rapidly exacerbated. For a start, any cyber incident has the potential to disrupt operations of strategic and tactical criticality, consequently putting lives and material at imminent threat. This beyond the obvious loss caused significant psychological harm to our nation and its people, besides lowering our esteem and the quality of nations. Now, there's the environment in which the ICs work, which is in itself highly volatile and oftentimes reliant upon partners and allies who may be non-nationals. Furthermore, intelligence communities engage in global theaters of intelligence gathering and action where laws, infrastructure, people, processes, none of which may be fully controlled or marshaled by us. Think about that. So how does the IC in such situations protect the integrity of their operations and with the confidence that they are acting on information that has not been tampered with, with partners that can be trusted with the principle of least privilege, whenever and wherever they may be? That's a weighty question. When all of these parameters being in a state of extraordinary flux, that complicates matters further. This is certainly not a scenario in which most federal agencies carry out their daily business. The notion that a breach, if and when it occurs, can be detected and then responded, which is how most federal agencies and enterprises subscribe to, presumes an acceptance of some level of suboptimal outcomes. Now, federal agencies at large and most enterprises may and often do have a time window to tolerate such breaches. But for the ICs, it could mean the difference between life and death, success and instant failure. So it causes us to ask the question, what if there were preventative measures to ensure that most, if not all, network-based attacks simply could not take place? Well, that is where zero-trust architecture is coming. I'll take pause there, Matt. Over to you. I hope it adds some sense to the question you asked. Yeah, very much so. Great insights there. And I appreciate you really breaking down the importance and the power of the Intel community just overall for our nation. and. 
you mentioned zero trust there at the end of your response. And, you know, zero trust in many ways sounds like an oxymoron. And if you don't mind, can you explain the principles behind this approach to network and information security overall? Uh, sure. Well, let's try and address this uh, oxymoronic question. Well, frankly, it is an oxymoron. But once you understand its genesis, you'll probably make your peace with it. In reality, we live today in a world where networks cannot be trusted wherever they may be. Meaning just because you're inside your offices behind bulletproof walls and stacks of cybersecurity appliances such as firewalls and intrusion detection systems does not mean that you're any more secure than if you're working out of a coffee shop. Meaning all networks are untrustworthy. All of them either breached or presumed to have been breached, meaning they're all zero trust networks. Now to solve this problem of ensuring secure communications over what are fundamentally untrustworthy or zero trust networks, we have a surge of new products built around this paradigm called zero trust architecture or just ZTA. More precisely, ZTA should be called architecture to secure zero trust networks. Any solution or product that overcomes this problem should be called a product to beat zero trust in your network. But well, such is the business world's inclination for brevity and catchy codes that they simply call these zero trust solutions. Of course, this causes confusion in the uninitiated mind, but for the reasons that I just explained, the market has embraced it. So that's the background to this oxymoronic new mantra. By the way, the phrase zero trust was first coined by Forrester Research, as most of us know, in 2010. So with that background, let's try and answer this question just so that we all have a refresher on zero trust architectures. What are its core principles? To understand that, we lean on the special publication of the National Institute of Standards and Technology called NISC-SP 800-207 which has emerged as the definitive guide on zero trust. At a high level, the key points of 800-207 are, don't assume trust based on the user's network. Rather, verify the trust continuously. The real context of that message is, don't assume trust for users on the internal network. Treat them just the same as if they were on the internet. Use who the user is and from what device the user is coming to determine which applications the user should be allowed to access. Always use least privilege. That is, only provide access to what the user needs to access, nothing more, nothing less. And a key word there is access. Users should not be able to see servers to which they are not authorized. And of course, in its broadest sense, one should extend this paradigm to the Internet of Things or IoT. So in summary, when implemented thoroughly, zero-trust architectures can achieve robust, unhackably secure network connectivity. More precisely, it can prevent credential theft, it can prevent man in the middle, and it can prevent lateral server exploitation attacks. Here we must hasten to emphasize that only ZTA well implemented is not the complete cybersecurity solution for any enterprise, federal agency, or intelligent community. Other solutions such as endpoint protection, next generation firewalls, cloud access security brokers, and such, will also continue to be needed as part of the overall solution strategy. And while on the subject, let us not ever forget that in the final analysis, security rests on the three legs of people, processes, and technology. 
So that, Matt, is a long-winded answer to the question that you asked me. I hope it makes some sense. Oh, very much so, Anurag. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful breakdown there and a perfect segue into my next question. So why is this approach to cyber something the IC should consider implementing today? Yeah, and I think that's another very good question because this is a practical import of immediate practical import, if you ask me. So well thought out, uh, thought through zero trust architecture implementations offer real opportunity to our intelligence communities to enable cyber-safe daily operations, their harsh operating environment notwithstanding. ZTA principles ensure end-to-end secure network access, irrespective of where the endpoints or end users may be. This access can be created dynamically, literally on the fly, and also torn down, which is equally important to the intelligence communities, equally quickly. It can enable information access from any part of the globe securely while on the move or stationary. It can also support all information types. Furthermore, this capability does not come with any penalty of performance. All of these, we believe, make considerations in the president's executive order that mandates a move to ZTA. The intelligence communities must be at the forefront of that transition. The elementary motivation is this. If the very networks that you use to ensure operational connectivity can't be trusted, then how can you continue to run the show? ZTA for now offers the only path forward. Okay, excellent. Great rundown there again, Anurag. Appreciate that. So what does the IC need to actually execute on zero trust? Yeah, now this is where the rubber's going to meet the road. Before we delve into what it would take to implement zero trust architectures, Matt, Let's demystify the concept in terms that are familiar to security professionals. We distill out ZTA to comprise these four pillars. First, segmentation. This is very much the central concept where server isolation is the key. Second, an access policy, which after due checks and balances allows access, and of course, in part, an administrative visibility on who's accessing from where, what are they accessing, so on and so forth. Third, trusted identity, it's an essential ingredient to the access decision, the primary policy. And finally, fourth, trusted endpoints, which could be the secondary policy, meaning once you use the factor to influence or access control policy decision. Now, once these four are implemented in such a way that only trusted users on trusted devices can access trusted applications over trusted connections, you achieve the goal of secure networking. So how do the ICs go about implementing ZTA? While that is always going to be an involved subject, we can lay out the ground rules for it. Let's start. So the first step would be to assess the current state of the networks, the protocols, media, the interconnect, the domains among users, among many other things. List these out against a priority of criticality, or shall we say sequence in which you would want to transition these to more to architectures. Then take stock of all the applications, services, and data stores in use. This often turns out into a complex activity, quite contrary to common perceptions. Next, you will need to take stock of normal, emergency, and field-critical end users. List down the user scenarios. Now, all of these are the obvious steps one would imagine. Beyond these are going to be these. And these are more involved and longer things that the IC should consider. Take a fresh look at a digitization strategy, meaning how does one achieve global scale, nimbleness, 
and availability, a holistic view. This would inevitably mean a move to the cloud, which would imply FedRAMP and FISMA compliance. What about that? Recall now that ZTA alone does not offer complete cyber protection and resiliency. It would need more technological solutions, people's training, and reimagining processes. This would open up a discussion logically on who the technology partners would be. Who would the ICs trust with managing such a critical digital infrastructure? How do you hire and retain the smartest cybersecurity minds to keep our ICs secure, functional, and effective? Like I said, there are very many weighty matters along the way that will have to be addressed. But some guiding lights could be these. Now, it appears that I'm sort of paraphrasing, repeating them, but if you read between the lines, there is a huge complexity involved with this. So let's look at some guiding lights because it is a big problem. One, a full stock taking of current networks, users, applications, use cases, and the like have to be the starting point. Two, the entire roadmap to ZTA transition must be conceived upfront in as much as is possible. Three, a move to the cloud, albeit in phases, is a necessity and must be vectored in. Four, the plans for transition to ZTA must reassess existing cybersecurity controls and suggest upgrades or replacements as appropriate. Next, management of the eventual network and its evolutionary sustenance besides cyber talent recruitment and retention has to be given paramount importance. This must be a parallel planning activity. Then implementation must be phased out. This could be by use case scenarios, it could be by regions, it could be by technologies or other rubrics. Seven, ZTA New Age digital cybersecurity will be an ongoing journey. It's not a destination, meaning it will continually evolve over the years. So how do you have a nimble administrative setup to constantly evolve, to get more modern and better and sharp? Finally, the concepts of defense in depth and adherence to the NIST framework of identity, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, will have to be woven in to guide the reimagined cybersecurity postures and strategies of the present and future world. So, Matt, it's a long answer. The fact of the matter is that cybersecurity is a journey. It's not a destination. And networks, especially that have a planetary scale, are getting increasingly complex and vulnerable. Yeah, wow, very much so, Anurag, and really appreciate your time today. We're coming up on our last question, which is our future focus question. So when looking to the future, what's the next step for the IC when it comes to maintaining robust cyber defenses? Well, I think many of the points I've already mentioned would have the answer embedded in it, but we'll break it down. For a start, what I'd like to concede is, well, really without having an insider view into the IC's network, the real on-the-ground operating principles, the myriad stakeholders, it would be imprudent to prescribe any manner of next steps. But that being said, some directions could be offered as follows. One, plan and implement Zero Trust Network Access, or ZTN. It is a foundational piece of the ZTA puzzle. It is a stepping stone to full-blown ZTA. It can be implemented without significant disruption to most ongoing operations and can be integrated into existing network components. This in one fell swoop will, in the minimum, achieve protection of the crown jewels and enforce the principle of least privilege. And two, and this has got to be a parallel activity, reimagine future network and communication architectures which are built on the foundation of ZTA. 
The design and execution must leverage the scale and flexibility of cloud computing, virtualization, and software programmability. So number two is really, in one point, all the other things that are mentioned in response to your previous questions. So those are the one, two steps that I would recommend for a start. That's you, Matt. Okay, excellent. Well, this concludes the Critical Communications and Intel Agencies podcast series, part two on Zero Trust, the security oxymoron hosted on Government Technology Insider, where Anurag Dave, who is the global product manager of Verizon SDP, Zero Trust Solutions at Verizon, discuss the advantages that Zero Trust architecture will bring to the IC and what obstacles they need to overcome in order to execute on this architecture. And Anurag, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Matt.